Well, good morning, Saints. It's good to be back uh, with you all. Uh, feels good to be back home at the Village Church. Uh, thank you for praying for us and our extended family. Uh, Grandma Hattie Bell Walker had a beautiful, beautiful uh, homecoming. You know, we grieved her and we celebrated her. The family stayed together. We were unified all weekend, and that was a wonderful to witness. And so, thank you. Uh, for praying for us. Thank you so much. Um, I found a quote online this week that says, uh, my husband and I have managed to be happy together for 20 years. I guess this is because we are both in love with the same man. My husband and I have managed to be happy together for 20 years. I guess this is because we are both in love with the same man. That's funny, but not so much if you're married to a self-centered person. It's not that funny for you. Self-centeredness, it it can ruin relationships. It can ruin teams, clubs, small groups, marriages, friendships, partnerships, ministry teams, staff, deacons, a church session. Self-centeredness can even ruin the church. It can even hinder our relationship with Jesus. So we should resist self-centeredness both individually and corporately as a local body of Christ. Because we're we're not to be a self-centered church. We are to be a Jesus-centered church. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. And this is us, TVC Saints, a Jesus-centered church as opposed to a self-centered church. And that's what we're going to begin talking about uh, this morning. What does it look like for us at the Village Church to be a Jesus-centered church? As we live Jesus-centered lives. So if you have your Bibles, open it to Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. In this chapter, uh, in chapter 9 of um, uh, Jeremiah, he, he, he expresses his grief and his lament for the coming judgment on Judah and Jerusalem because of their rebellion against Yahweh. He also explains to the people that Yahweh is even just for doing this. He calls the people to to join him into grieving what is coming. And then in these verses, in verses 23 and 24, he he calls the people of Israel to to trust in Yahweh and not trust in themselves. He he calls them to be Yahweh centered and not self centered. So saints receive the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. As I prayed this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will move during this time of, of service. I do pray that you forgive me for taking you for granted, uh, for not for trusting in myself at times and not leaning upon you. And so, Holy Spirit, you need to move. You have to take the word that is preached and apply it to all of our hearts, my heart included. Because if you don't move, 
Nothing I say here is going to matter to anybody. It's not going to change anybody. It's not going to encourage anybody. It's not going to change any hearts. The preacher is just a man. Just a man. A man in need of the same grace that everyone else needs. So, Holy Spirit, you are a counselor. You are the one who leads us into all truth. You are the one who reminds us of the words of Christ. So be that for us today. You know where each person is dealing with. You know where we're living. You know our struggles. So I pray that you will minister to those things, minister to our hearts, not just our behavior, but our hearts. Minister to our hearts today for our good and for the glory of our Savior. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. What does it look like to be a Jesus-centered church? Not just on Sunday mornings, not just on our websites, on our Facebook page, not just in our vision and mission statements. What does it look like functionally? Functionally, what does it look like? What does it look like Monday through Saturday? What does it look like in the mundane of life? What does it look like in the places where each of us truly live day in and day out, in the ups and downs, in the highs and lows, in the joys and pains? What does it look like to say, I live a Jesus-centered life? What does it look like? A Jesus-centered church decenters self. Well, what do you mean by that, Alex? Here's what I mean. Self is taken out of the center. You see, all of us have an ideal version of who we think we should be. And many of us are always living in, I ought to be this mode. And we worship that ideal version of self. Some of you are in shame and in guilt and frustrated because you have this view of who you think you should be, who your family should be. And you haven't attained that self yet, so you live in a whole lot of guilt whole lot of shame. So you can't place Jesus at the center when you're always looking at itself. When self is higher than he. See, as a Jesus-centered church doesn't boast in self. She leads self-boasting to a self-centered church or self-centered lifestyle. For self-boasting is confidence in the flesh, as Paul calls it in Philippians. It's pride It's to be full of ourselves. It's to have the the big head. It is to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It's looking in the mirror and feeling and saying to yourself, I'm the woman. I'm the man. I'm the boss. I'm the pastor. Self-boasting puts self at the center. It makes life all about us. And and boasting like this is done without reverence to Jesus without reverence to Yahweh Elohim. It is really done in opposition to him. You know, what do you think crawls around like pests underneath self-boasting? Crawling around like insects creeping around your house at night. What is it? What crawls around there? It's trusting in self. It's dependence on self. Self Self-seeking, self-confidence, self-righteousness, self-preservation. It's worship of self. And what that is, is it's independence from Yahweh. Please know at Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fell, they wanted to be independent of God. 
that I, I can live my life apart from my creator. That's what was happening in Genesis 3. I don't need you. I can be you. Because if I can be you, God, then I don't need you. That's what, ha- that's what takes place in Genesis 3. And this type of self-boasting is false hope. False security. False significance. Please understand that this is self-reliance. And self-boasting is the pagan god Baal that many Christians in America don't even know they're worshiping. But we worship him. Jeremiah 1.16 says, I will pronounce my judgment on Israel concerning their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and offered sacrifices to other gods and have worshipped the works of their own hands. Worship the works of their own hands. T. Alton Sparks, he's a theologian, and he calls it the self-life. He says, you and I must understand that the self-life not only is something that is corrupt. This is a, uh, there's a great deal done for God with the purest motives that is done out from ourselves. There are many thoughts and ideas and judgments which are beautiful and wonderful, but they are ours. If we did only know the truth, they are altogether different from God. Different from God's. What is the self-life? How are you worshiping the works of your own hands? What does self-boasting look like in your life? What does self-centeredness, how does it manifest itself in your lifestyle? How does it manifest itself in our church, and our small groups? The Lord mentions three things in verse 23 that we're prone to self-boast in. Three places where we can live in self-centeredness. Three objects that we can have in our idol display case. Because we all have an idol display case in our heart. I know I got one. I have a whole bunch of stuff in there. What's in your display case? Yahweh mentions three here. But a self-centered church lives in those things. But a Jesus-centered church resists them. Resists self-boasting. So first... There's boasting in our own wisdom. There's boasting in our own wisdom. And wisdom is the application of knowledge. That's what wisdom means. Verse 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Please understand, there's nothing wrong with being wise. You should be wise. That's a good thing. There isn't anything with having wisdom. There isn't anything wrong with being able to rightly apply knowledge. The issue is how do people use their wisdom? What do you want your wisdom to do for you that only Jesus can do for you? The issue is when we allow knowledge to puff us up. The issue is self-boasting and our ability to display wisdom. And wisdom refers to your intellectual abilities. Because some of you are smart. You're critical. You know how to think critically, analytically. And you know it. And it has become your God. Your book smartness. Some of you get good grades in school. That can become your God. You, some of you are street smart. You know how to survive. We can drop you down in a tough neighborhood and you will survive. And for some of you, that is your God. Common sense. Areas in life in which you have knowledge and expertise. Experiences that have given you a, a broader perspective on life. It could be your progressive views, your conservative views, your cultural viewpoints your social wokeness viewpoints, your dietary viewpoints, which is it for us? 
In what areas of life do you possess wisdom? In what human experiences do you possess insight and knowledge? What do you consider yourself to be an expert in? Each of us have wisdom in certain areas of life. Each of us think we're always right about something. And what is it for you? What is it? We do assume that we have deep and better insight into certain areas than people. It could be parenting. These aren't necessarily bad things. Okay? Because God, God isn't saying wisdom is bad. He's saying how you're using it is the issue. It could be parenting, education, relationships, finances, grief, social justice, the justice system, theology, politics, government. Systemic brokenness, welfare, church, religion, culture, racial reconciliation, economics, poverty, even racism. All those things we can list there. And you all have knowledge and expertise in some of those things. And you can self-boast in them too. Because you have a certain enlightenment that others don't have. A certain judgment and cleverness that other people don't have. And Calvin says... The worst screen to block out the spirit is confidence in our own intelligence. The worst screen to block out the spirit is confidence in our own intelligence. And we're confident because we're smart. And it can block out the spirit's work in our life. A Jesus-centered church doesn't live in, in the confidence of her own intelligence. She doesn't boast in her own wisdom. She doesn't boast in her theology. She doesn't make an idol out of her intelligence and experiences and knowledge. She resists that. And how does she resist it? Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. I'm not going to give you a to-do list of well, stop reading the books. It's confess it and repent. That's how we deal with it. That's how we deal with it. Confession, repentance. Second, there's boasting in our own might. Verse 23 again. Thus says the Lord, let not the mighty man boast in his might. What does he mean by might? Might that could be, it's your strengths, power, your abilities, your influence, your courage. It could be your career, your physical appearance, your achievements. It's what you're good at. It's what you're gifted at. It's what you enjoy. It's your performance, your productivity, your productivity, your resume of success, your good works. What's the strength for you? How has God gifted you? And again, there's nothing wrong with the gift. There's nothing wrong with the strength. It's always about how we use it. How do we use it? A guy I knew a while back, he says, do you love God for God or do you love him for the gift that he gives you? There's two different types of love. Do you love God for God or do you love him for it's because of what he does for you? There's two types of love. Two types of love. What are you good at doing? What fuels your passion? What, what prevents you from taking a break? Some of us don't Sabbath. What prevents you from taking a Sabbath? And whatever that is, that may be your God. We don't take vacation. We don't rest. We just do, we do, we do, we do. The little energizer bunny, that's who we become. What is it for you? 
What is it? Sports, it could be your career, your military service, your job, owning your own business. It could be teaching, preaching, leadership, music, making good grades, eating the right food, debating skills. What are you currently doing that says, this makes me who I am? If I, if just because I'm doing this, this makes me who I am. If I didn't have this, I would cease to exist. What makes you say I need to pull myself up by my own bootstraps? What makes you say I need more power? I need more success. I need more courage. I need to do more stuff. Think about it. Give it some thought. Please, just don't, don't tune me out. Again, there's nothing bad with having strengths. There's nothing bad about being good at things. There's nothing wrong with having a passion. The issue is always self-boasting in your might and your strength. The issue is your performance and your productivity become a, can become an idol. I worship productivity. I'm a checklist person. And I love, I love a good checklist. And that checklist can become my Bible. Yep. Now I'm done with that. I'm done with that. On to the next thing. Because when I'm being productive, I'm good. If I'm not being productive, God doesn't love me. So what is it for you? It's, a, it's attaching your identity to your success and your achievements. When I'm succeeding, I feel good. I love myself. But when I'm failing, I'm worthless. It's finding your righteousness and your giftedness and your abilities. It's worshiping the works of your own hands. Boasting in self is cold language for self-sufficiency apart from Jesus. It's self-reliance apart from Christ. It's self-centeredness. A.W. Tozer, another favorite theologian of mine, he says, as long as man is allowed to play host, he will honor God with his, with his intentions. But God must always remain a guest, never seek to be Lord. Man will have understood that this is his world. He will make its laws and decide how it shall run. God is permitted to decide nothing. God bows to man, and as he bows, manages with difficulty to conceal the crown upon his own head. Mm-mm-mm. We bow to God, but we try to hide that crown that we have on our own head. A self-centered church doesn't conceal the crown. You know what she does? She just owns it and says, you know what? Yes. There's a crown there, Jesus, and daily she takes it off. Daily she gives it back to him. Daily. Daily. And how you do it again? Confession, repentance. Confession, repentance. Here you go, Jesus. I took your crown again. That's, God, please understand that. You're, you walking with Jesus is going to be you repeatedly giving him the crown. Every day of your life, giving it back to him. Because every time we take it. And we give it back. Repentance, confession. That's it. Can't go check this off. Can't go do more stuff. I can't give you a checklist. Confession, repentance. That's how you deal with it. That's what frees you from self-boasting. Third, there's boasting in our own riches. Thus says the Lord, let not the rich man boast. In his riches. Like I said before, with might and wisdom, there's nothing inherently wrong 
with having riches. The issue is always about use. Always about use. Self-centered person, a self-centered church, boast in riches, trust in riches, idolize riches. If you grew up in the 80s and you love to watch cartoons, then you would be familiar with DuckTales. Struge McDuck is the richest man in the world. So rich that he has a storage building that houses all his money. And he named this building the Money Bin. And if you know the cartoon, one of his favorite hobbies is to dive and swim around his Money Bin. Like an indoor pool. And in one episode, he says, a day without looking at me, Money Bin, is a day without sunshine. A day without looking at me, Money Bin, is a day without Sun, shine. Each of us have a Scrooge McDuck in us. We have a version of his money bin. And we dive in it and we swim in it. So the question is, what's in your money bin? I could be Samuel L. Jackson right now talking about what's in your wallet. But, <laughs> but what's in your money bin? What's in it? Material possessions. Dead presidents, which is slang for money. Toys, technology, consumerism, capitalism, socialism, retirement plan, cars, the American dream, entitlements. What do you have that you consider to be a wealth? And it ain't always money. It ain't always money. People who boast in their riches and wealth are driven by one creed, and it's greed. Never having enough. Never satisfied, never content. What do you think is one wealth that we as American Christians have turned into an idol? So it's a wonderful benefit that we have made into a golden calf. What do you think it is? It's our constitutional rights. We can boast in them. We can glory in them. We can worship in them. Those rights are in our money bin, and we are fight to the end to protect them. The rights we enjoy as American citizens are wonderful, but when they become the solid rock on which we stand, we are in sin. Okay? When the Bill of Rights become our functional confession of faith, we're living in idolatry. When those ten amendments are functionally treated as the inspired word of God, we are no longer worshiping Jesus. We are worshiping Baal. And here's an important lesson. All Christians in America can learn from black history in our country. Just because something is written on paper doesn't always mean it's going to apply to you. Take a lesson from the persecuted church. Just because something on paper doesn't mean it's going to always apply to us Christians. Because the time may come when we may become a persecuted church and all these rights will no longer be applied to us, but Yahweh will still love us. Just like he loves the persecuted church. So let not Christians in America boast in her rights as American citizens. Take heed. Jeremiah 2.13 says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, to make for themselves broken cisterns, cisterns that cannot hold water. 
these three items that I've been talking about, they're broken cisterns. Boasting in self, boasting in wisdom, can't hold water. Boasting in might, can't hold water. Boasting in riches, can't hold water. Self-centeredness, can't hold water. These are, both, these are broken cisterns, and there's nothing that we can do to change it. I don't care how much hot glue or crazy glue you use, that water going to leak out. I don't care how much duct tape you wrap around it, it's still going to leak. And the question is, do we really believe that? Do you really believe that? Because I have to ask myself, do I really believe what I believe? Or do I believe it because of where I live? Do I really enjoy being a Christian or do I just enjoy being a Christian in America? Again, that's two different things. These are questions I ask myself all the time. Because if it ever got tough, what would it reveal about me? What would it reveal about you? Do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? Many of us are living a sandcastle life. And what happens when the tide comes in? What happens to the sandcastle when the tide comes in? It's gone. It's gone. What happens, kids, if you've been to the beach? What happens to your sandcastle when the tide comes in? Yes. Learn from the little ones. In a life that's built like a sandcastle, what happens when hardship comes, kids? Yes. Thank you, my little theologians. <laughs> a life built on sandcastles does not stand firm when hardship comes because it's, built, it's not built right. And what happens to us is that we get stuck in the cycle. The tide comes, the castle falls. But instead of turning away and going away, we build another one. But this time it's going to work. This time we're going to build a bridge or something or a gate. But that's still made with sand. But what is insanity? It's doing the exact same thing over and over again. It's spent things to be different. Jesus says, stop. Sandcastles won't last. Broken cisterns can't be fixed. A foundation, a foundation, a life that is built on riches, wealth, and wisdom is not firm. Riches, wealth, and wisdom, they are not the fountain of living water for believers. We can enjoy these things, but they cannot become Baal to us. They cannot become our God to us. Yahweh Elohim, he is your fountain. Jesus is your fountain. But do you believe it? Do you functionally believe it? There's a hymn that says, oh, Christ, he is the fountain. The deep, sweet well of life. It's living streams I've tasted, which save from grief and strife. To, to, to an open fullness, his mercy does extend. His grace, all sufficient. Do you believe that his grace is sufficient for you? Do you believe that? Really believe it? Oh, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. That's you, Christian. Son, daughter, that's you. He brings a poor vest sinner into his house of wine, and, upon, and I stand upon his merit. And I know no other stand. I'm hidden in his presence and I'm held by his hand. That is you, beloved. That is you, beloved.
And I love this part. The bride's eyes, not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not a crown that he giveth, but on his peers' hands. Lamb is all the glory in my eternal stand. That is a Jesus-centered life. That is a Jesus-centered church. That your gaze, your focus is always on the risen Lord who loves you, who holds you, who protects you, who is in union with you. That's it. Everything else is sinking sand. I don't care what it promises you. I don't care what it gives you. It ain't Jesus. It ain't ever going to be Jesus. And that's what a Jesus in the church confesses. That's what she believes in functionally day in and day out in the ups and the downs in the joys and the pains. That is it. That's all you have. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? You're going to sing a song called In Christ Alone when we're done. The first line says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is our light. He is our strength. He is our song. Will you sing this song and believe it? Believe it. Not just now, but when you go back out there on Monday through Saturday, when things happen, will you believe that Jesus is your light, your strength, and your song? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are more beautiful and forgiving than we give you credit for. You are more gracious and more merciful than we believe. And your grace is greater than our wondering. Your grace is greater than our sin. Your grace is greater than our self-boasting. I thank you that you call us to these things so that we can repent of them, so that you can make us whole. You reveal things, and it's not to shame and to give us. That's the enemy. You reveal things so that we can repent. Because you want us to be whole. You want us to be healthy. So Holy Spirit, free us from navigating through life, building sandcastles that don't last. Help us learn what it means to, to live for Jesus, to live with our eyes gazed upon him. Reveal areas in our life in which we have not said, Lord, have lordship over. And loosen up our hands through prayer, repentance, and confession that you may be king over our life and our circumstances. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.